Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Welcome to Healthy Versus Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks, is intelligence attractive? Another related question, how important is intelligence for romantic attraction compared to other mate preferences, so other characteristics that people might find attractive. So there's a bit of division in the research literature when it comes to what factors are most attractive, what traits are most attractive. I think the different findings have a lot to do with how the information is gathered, the actual research methodology. Usually when a researcher is trying to figure out what factors are important in attraction, they're going to give a participant a set number of factors and ask them to rank them from one to however many factors there are in the list. They have the participant do this separately for each type of relationship. And typically they divide the relationship types into four categories, single date, physical relationship, steady dating, and marriage. So from casual to serious. So they look at those different items and how they're ranked and see if they're different across those four categories. So I mentioned this division in the research. Some studies show that being kind or understanding is the most highly valued characteristic. Now, this is the case when people are self-reporting. So again, they're taking a test and they're ranking these items. They're not being asked questions. They're not really in a creative type of a setting. They're just looking at what's available and putting them in rank order. It's also not real behavior measured in the environment. It's not like somebody's watching them and seeing what they respond to. Again, this is self-report. And whenever information is self-reported, there's a risk of distortion. In one study, we see that being physically attractive ranks sixth on the list. So we have being kind or understanding, then intelligent, exciting personality, easygoing, healthy, then physically attractive. After this, we see being creative, wants children, earning capacity, college graduate, good housekeeper, good heredity, and religious. So those are how the items are ranked. Now, when looking at the behavior observed outside of traditional testing environments where you're giving somebody a self-report instrument. So when looking at people interacting in the real world, we see that physical attractiveness moves up to the most important factor by far. So there's a bit of disconnect between what characteristics people say that they're attracted to and what they're actually attracted to. Now, this may be deliberate, like people don't want to admit the role of physical attractiveness, they don't want to appear shallow, or it could be that they actually believe 
that being kind or understanding, intelligent, having an exciting personality is more attractive to them than the physical attributes. They believe they're making a decision based on certain factors, but they're actually making a decision based on other factors. So there may be a lack of insight when it comes to figuring out what's attractive. And whenever we see a lack of insight, the topic is really hard to study from a research perspective. Now, even with the prominent role of physical attractiveness, that doesn't mean that the other factors are irrelevant. Physical attractiveness is important, but other lower ranking factors still play a part. Now, on these rank order tests, the rank order methodology is really limited. When somebody puts intelligent as the second most important factor, what level of intelligence are they talking about? And we could make the same argument about all the characteristics. How kind or understanding do you have to be in order to appear attractive? One of the theories about intelligence is that, for many people at least, there is a minimum level that they're looking for. So it's really not continuous, it's categorical. Somebody is either intelligent enough or they're not, which means that as somebody's intelligence increases, they're not necessarily going to be more attractive. Again, they simply have to meet a minimum threshold. When people are asked to consider the importance of intelligence under this minimum threshold theory, we see that in the single date category, people are looking for somebody at the 50th percentile or above. So for argument's sake, let's just say that IQ is the same thing as intelligence. It's not, it's a way of measuring intelligence, but again, just to keep things straightforward. At the 50th percentile rank, that's an IQ of 100. For the most invested type of relationship, marriage, we see that people are looking for the 65th percentile. So this is an IQ of 106. Another interesting study that looked at this question used this method of budgeting. And I thought this was particularly clever. So the study set up a hypothetical budget for designing an attractive mate. So this really assumes that the traits in a partner could be purchased. And they had a name for the currency, mate dollars. So you would spend these mate dollars on different traits and you'd be given different amounts of mate dollars to use. So different categories. Specifically, they looked at three levels, 20, 40, and 60 mate dollars. Now, what they found is the amount of money that the participants spent on intelligence was the same across all those conditions. It didn't matter how many mate dollars they were given. Only so much money went toward intelligence. And again, this supports the idea that there's a minimum level that people want. One of the reasons I find this so interesting is because it lines up with another popular theory of intelligence as it relates to functioning on several domains, like creativity, occupational success, and academic achievement. For these factors, there is little or no benefit to intelligence beyond an IQ score of 120. So for example, looking at occupational success, we would expect the same level of success for somebody with an IQ of 120, 125, 130, or more, right? That doesn't really predict how successful they're gonna be in their job too well past, again, that level of 120. So this brings up a question. Is there an upper limit for intelligence in terms of attractiveness? Meaning, is there a point where being more intelligent doesn't help somebody's attractiveness, or could it actually hurt somebody's attractiveness at a certain point? Well, it turns out that there is an upper limit. Intelligence becomes less attractive when somebody hits the 90th percentile and becomes increasingly less attractive as the person moves up to the 99th percentile. An IQ of 120 puts somebody at the 90th percentile. So attractiveness matches up with other factors in terms of this threshold theory. 
again, like occupational or academic success. Now, it's worth noting here that the attractiveness of people between the 90th and 99th percentile ranks was still higher than the people who were below the 50th percentile. The 99th percentile was roughly the same as the 75th percentile in terms of attractiveness. This is interesting because it's difficult to figure out why this was the finding. Looking at the research literature, we see there's really not much evidence that connects highly intellectually able people to lower social functioning. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So there's a bit of a mystery here. It's not really clear why extremely high intelligence would be unattractive. Another finding here is that the preferred level of intelligence was really not that different from males to females. There is this theory that females would value intelligence more in their partners as compared to males. Females did value intelligence more, but it wasn't a statistically significant difference. So it really wasn't that important of a difference, not something that we would consider useful in terms of applying this information. So with all these findings in mind, is how this applies in society really clear? Is the takeaway really up to a point? Those with higher intelligence will be more attractive? Well, not exactly, because the decision to engage in those different levels of romantic behavior I talked about before, like single date all the way through marriage, those start with somebody looking at another person and making a judgment about those various preference characteristics. So using the example of a woman who's looking at a man, a woman may look at a man and based on the way he appears, think that he must be kind, he seems intelligent, healthy, has good earning capacity, and that initial assessment determines whether she's open to that first step of a romantic relationship. If that assessment is not accurate, the actual level of the traits in that man will not matter as much as the perceived level. Now, research has shown that women can judge a male's intelligence with a reasonable degree of accuracy simply from looking at a photograph. Interestingly, this has actually been shown to be the case across a number of research articles over the course of many years. But this ability to detect intelligence isn't there across every age category of women. Older women appear to have this ability. They can do this relatively well, again, figuring out the intelligence of a man just by looking at him. But younger women do not seem to have this ability. They tend to incorrectly rate the intelligence of a man in a photograph. Furthermore, younger females tend to rank males they believe are intelligent as less attractive. So how can somebody who is intelligent give themselves a good chance of being recognized by a potential mate? How can they make that intelligence work to their advantage in that situation? Well, if somebody is evaluating you just based on looking at your face, there's really not much you can do. But what if you have an opportunity to communicate verbally with that potential mate. 
Well, if you are kind or understanding, that's the number one ranked mate preference. So I would say empathize and listen. But again, here we're talking about intelligence. So I'll run under the assumption that somebody is not kind or understanding. What can they do? Well, I've had people say a lot of different things when asked this question. I've had people say that you should just walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm intelligent. This is probably not a good idea. I've also had people say that you should print out your intelligence test results and show them to people or simply tell people what your IQ score is. This is actually a much worse idea. I think a better idea would be to demonstrate a good sense of humor. People believe that a good sense of humor is connected to intelligence, and it is. It's positively correlated. So through a good sense of humor, one can accurately communicate and others can accurately assess intelligence levels. In addition, a sense of humor is considered attractive because it's related to mate preferences other than intelligence. A sense of humor makes somebody look kind or understanding. Of course, that's number one. It's part of appearing to be easygoing, which is ranked number four in terms of mate preference. And it's related to creativity, which is ranked number seven. So one behavior, a sense of humor, helps with four of the top seven mate preferences, including numbers one and two, which actually makes having a sense of humor an intelligent choice. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Brightigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.